always want to dance when that music comes on, um, but I won't, I promise. Um, well, today we've been going through a sermon series called It's On My Heart, and we've been inviting guest preachers from uh, around the area as well as from Los Angeles, uh, and today is no different. We have a, a good, good friend of mine, Pastor David Chong, who's going to come up and give us the message for today. Uh, I just want to give you a little brief uh, intro on him. I'll, I'll read the passage for us, uh, and then I'll invite Pastor David Chong to come up and give us God's word for today. Uh, Pastor David Chong and I go way back, um, but, uh, but he, right, currently right now he pastors at a church in Los Angeles called All Nations Community Church. It's a wonderful, growing, thriving uh, ministry. Uh, he's been pastoring there for about six years now, and I'm so glad that he gets to come and preach to us today. Not only because I heard the first uh, service's message and it was powerful, but also because he's a good friend, but also just a man of character. He is truly a pastor. He's somebody that you want to pour out your heart and your soul and your mind to because he is so genuine, he is so loving, and he is so caring. Uh, you know, one quick thing, if you guys could be praying for Pastor David, uh, he has one prayer request, and that's this. He doesn't have just one kid. He doesn't have just two. He doesn't have three. His, pregnant, his wife is now pregnant with their fourth. Please pray for his soul so that he can still be saved uh, on that day. Uh, I can't imagine having four kids, but he's going to do it because he has such a huge heart. Um, but, uh, but let me go ahead and read this passage for us. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 7, and then I'll skip over to verse 15 to 27, uh, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce and invite out Pastor David Chong. But at this time, if we could all rise together as we read God's word. Uh, I'll read this for us. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, and then I'll invite Pastor David Chong up. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as, uh, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Uh, let's skip down to verse 15. Uh, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not, my, of, not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as to not make uh, use, uh, full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we have an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. And if at the same time you could uh, give a big round of applause for Pastor David Chung as he comes back. Hello, New Life. Uh, it's such a joy uh, to be here uh, to worship with you guys. Uh, I have great affections for this community. This is where I grew up, and uh, when I heard my first call uh, to ministry, it was a part of this church. Um, you know, I've been observing the last couple weeks uh, of your guys' service. Two weeks ago, it was Pastor uh, Tim Pack, and then last week was Pastor Derek. Uh, these two pastors are probably the most influential in my development and my pursuit of a vocational ministry. And I was just joking earlier in first service, the series shouldn't be It's On My Heart, but Throwback Pastors of Young Jagyoe. Um, I know there are some others in, in the lineup that uh, have been a part of this ministry as well. Uh, they have look, uh, you have to look forward to. Now, Pastor Eric and I, we go way back, uh, but I also go way back with Pastor Kenny and, and Pastor Clara. And so it's truly a blessing for me to uh, be here. Uh, to serve you guys, and you guys are really blessed uh, with these amazing pastors. Uh, if you can, please pray with me, and I'll get right into uh, the preaching of the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day and for this space uh, where your church can gather to worship you, uh, where we can center ourselves and realign ourselves with your truth. Uh, after all that's said and done, uh, in these next few moments, may your truth remain, because we know that only your truth can set us free, uh, only your Holy Spirit can transform lives. And so, God, we invite you in this place now, and we ask that you fill this place. Uh, so we devote this next uh, time to you, and may you be pleased and glorified. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in our passage, Paul uses himself as an example to raise the issue of rights. And he's ch actually challenging one's claim to their rights. And I can't help but think, as Americans, uh, we are triggered by Paul's instructions and his exhortations. And for those of us who grew up here, we understand the unique privilege and position uh, when it comes to this idea of rights. That we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, the behavior and structure of our nation is deeply shaped by what we know as the Bill of Rights, right? the Ten Amendments, and the other constitutional amendments, right? the right to free speech, the right to bear arms. These are probably the two most common ones that we hear about. And these are our guiding principles that govern our nation and what makes us unique from other nations. And at the core, I believe that these are good rights. But what often happens when we're uh, when we grow up in this type of culture and environment, it can breed uh, entitlement. It can cultivate this attitude of entitlement. So you hear things like, oh, it's a free country. I could do whatever I want. Right. Don't infringe upon my rights. I'm entitled to these things. You know, the city of Corinth in which Paul is writing this letter to had a very similar ethos. There was a popular saying that had a prominent effect on the culture of the city. And that saying was, all things are lawful. And this slogan deeply shaped the life of the city. 
And so Paul addresses actually this slogan early in the letter, and he addresses it a second time later in his letter, right, to actually challenge this notion that all things are lawful. And so there, were great, there was a great amount of freedom in the city that gave license to all sorts of behavior. To, to call someone a Corinthian was actually derogatory. It meant that they were sexually promiscuous. So then you have to imagine the church was born in this city. You can imagine the challenge that a Corinthian would have had once they converted to Christianity. They now are taught a new law, a new way of life that ran counter to this concept that all things are lawful. In the chapter previous, Paul again addresses this idea of rights, specifically in regards to food. Can Christians eat meats that were dedicated to pagan idols? That was the right that Paul addresses. Is there any spiritual significance if I partake in these foods that were first dedicated in these temples? And then Paul answers the question, no, there is no spiritual significance. But not everyone in the church community understood the distinction. They were ignorant of that truth and that reality. So the question is, do Christians then disregard the ones that are in the dark and just go at it and just eat? Or should they refrain from eating for the sake of others? Paul says it's the latter. Choose to build others up in love and don't operate out of your privilege. So Paul continues on this theme of rights in our chapter, and he uses himself as an example. Three questions for us to consider. What rights do you possess? Secondly, why we can refuse them? And lastly, how does it impact our Christian race? So first, what rights do we possess? You know, our passage starts off with a list of all the rights that Paul is entitled to in the form of rhetorical questions. Am I not free? Can I not eat and drink? Can I not take a believing wife? Right? Who plants a vineyard and not enjoy its fruits? Who tends a flock and not enjoy its milk? To answer these questions, Paul is free. Paul can eat and drink. He can take a wife. And he can enjoy the fruits of his labor. Right? The vineyard and the flock, he's using these, uh, these as examples of workers of, of, of the field and workers of the flock to enjoy its fruits, right, and its milk. And so what Paul is talking about is, I do have the right to enjoy the reward of my gospel ministry. I can work for the gospel and actually get compensated for it. But then he's, he goes on to say something very interesting in verse 15. I'll read this once again. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So although he has all these rights at his disposal, he refuses them. Now, in the early church, there were different types of gospel workers or gospel ministers. And Paul mentions them earlier in this letter. Paul is the one who planted the church. Apollos, who was another minister, later came and watered this plant. And so Paul was an itinerant church planner and missionary. He supported himself through working with leather goods. He would make tents, and he would go to the marketplace, and he would sell them. 
And you would think, wow, this is admirable. He's bivocational. He doesn't get paid by the church. But actually, this posed a problem. Because philosophers and teachers in the Greco-Roman world would receive support through fees and through the system called patronage. They would have patrons, sponsors. And relationship with these patrons would actually raise someone's notoriety. And what, Paul, what made Paul stand out amongst the other, others was that he did not have a patron. But Cephas and Apollos, Cephas also known as Peter, the Apostle Peter, they most likely had patrons. And they also had wives. And so, but Paul was single. And so they were questioning his authority and his credibility and his credentials. These other philosophers, these other gospel ministers have patrons. Why don't you? And so they were questioning his teachings and questioning his authority. But Paul says, I have privileges to all of these. But he intentionally didn't make use of them. Now, remember what led Paul to use himself as an example to raise these issues of rights The topic was food to begin with. Now for us, when we're thinking about our rights, this idea of food is not much of a controversy for us. We don't have a problem with food as a church in Corinth did. But when we want to broaden out this principle of rights, I think there are some challenges that I would like us to consider. Yes, you have the right to free speech. You are entitled to your own opinion. And it's easier than ever for us to voice our opinion and our thoughts, right? By our social media. Pick up your phones, go to Instagram, go on your Twitter, retweet, repost. You could just vomit, right, in social media posts. You're entitled to use your phones and your social media platform however you want. But for us Christians, I want us to consider God and actually our neighbor before we make use of that right. And especially in this pandemic, right? People had just stuck in their homes, just, just taking in all, right, of the injustice, of all the toxic things in our culture. And what do they do? Ran to their phones and just post, repost, retweet. But I believe that as this is an amazing right that we have, we need to consider God and we need to consider our neighbor. Are we simply posting things just to prove a point? Or are we really seeking to build others up and to glorify God? Secondly, the right to pursue your own happiness. Yes, you have a right to use your time however you want, your resources and your money to maximize your pleasure and enjoyment. You worked for it. It's at your dispense to use however you want. Your house is your house. Your time is your time. Your money and resources belong to you. And there's nothing more American than this idea of pursuing your own happiness. There's nothing more American than owning your own things and in claiming your rights. But for the Christian, our confession is different. Our confession is that actually everything belongs to God. We are not owners. We are stewards. We are managers of the things that God has blessed us with. Now, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should not take care of ourselves and not to spend on ourselves and not enjoy these things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is if I live this life for me, myself, and die, and I am the end, all and be all, there's no difference between someone who professes faith in Jesus Christ and someone who does not. 
See, the Christian life, the progression of the Christian life is less of me and more of Christ. God, may I decrease and may you increase in my heart, in my life, in my mind. And so although we have these amazing rights that we are free to enjoy, just as Paul did, we can deny them. And so this leads us to our second question. Why can we refuse these amazing rights and privileges? At the end of verse 15, for Paul, it has to do with his boasting, his boasting or his glory. Now, he doesn't explain in detail what this boasting is about, but this is one of Paul's favorite words to use in his letters. Paul's boasting, his glory, isn't in his credentials, and he has them. Very impressive resume. His boasting is not in his gifts or his abilities or the churches he planted, and there were a number of churches that he planted, but rather his boasting is in Christ, in Christ crucified. In other places, he said he boasts in his weakness. Now think about that. That is an interesting to be boastful about. Someone dying on a cross and his own weakness. And so why is this Paul's boasting? Because it is in his weakness that the strength of the gospel can be displayed and shown. And we have to remember that Paul's mission uh, that Jesus gave him was very specific. Jesus told him, go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. This is the non-Jews. And so he had numerous missionary excursions, Right? And tent-making was an intentional, calculated diversion from his peers because patronage came with certain obligations and he would be under the compulsion of others. And so the reason why Paul can easily give up all these amazing privileges and apostolic rights is because he was under a greater and more powerful compulsion and that was the love of Christ. Christ says in his second letter to the church in Corinth, I am compelled by the love of Christ. That is what drives me. And you know, when our culture hears this word compulsion, we cringe, right? This idea of pressure and force. We're told that the removal of all compulsions is what will lead to a life of freedom and happiness. Isn't that the message of our time? But for us, true gospel freedom isn't the absence of all constraints, but living under the right ones. The wisdom of the world instructs that you are the center of the universe. You determine what you determine your own meaning and values. You are the sole proprietor. And so everything and every relationship is a means to your happiness and your pleasure. So your spouse, your work, your kids, your education, your profession, it's all funneling to make you happy and to give you pleasure. Again, in contrast, Christians believe in a God who created everything and who created us. He made man and woman in his image for relationship and for us to reflect God to the world. So true meaning and purpose was found in this communion and in this relationship. But we know what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve forfeited their right to that relationship. They wanted to be their own gods. And because of that, they were estranged with God. 
And so as a result, there's one compulsion that all of us, we all share in common, and that is the compulsion of sin. What is sin? Sin is us just being curved inward. It convinces us that we are what matters the most. And so because of this compulsion of self-rule, we stand in judgment and condemnation before God. We reject God because we ourselves want to be him. And so there's no one righteous. There's no one actually not under this compulsion of sin. And that is why the gospel then is good news. By trusting in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are no longer helpless and hopeless to this compulsion. We can be freed from it. Having faith in Jesus, now there's no more condemnation. We are justified. Our debt is paid off. But not only that, he invites us into his kingdom and he adopts us as his own children. And we can then serve, not under our own compulsion, but we can serve under his loving rule. Paul Paul is an example of what happens when Christ becomes the center stage of your life, when Jesus becomes the center, when he becomes the primary focus and object of your affection. If Jesus is your primary object, of your affection, even good things like your rights and your privileges can be denied in order to glorify him and to win others to him. And it's so opposite of what our culture tells us, the message of our culture, right? If you have rights, make full use of them. Claim them all. The gospel, on the other hand, empowers and enables us to surrender those rights to the greater glory of God. But here's the thing. You can't, surrender, you can't surrender your rights if you have too much to lose. You can only surrender them when you have nothing to lose. Paul understood that there was more to gain in forfeiting his rights than claiming them. And that's because for Paul, the gain wasn't for himself. His gain was for Christ. And that is why he was so He was so effective in reaching people of all different cultures, all different backgrounds, and even religions. Verse 19 again from our passage, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And he goes on, To a Jew I became a Jew. To those under the law I became as one under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. To the weak I became weak. I became all things to all men. He wasn't fixed in his ways. He wasn't gripping tightly to all his rights. He was malleable to other views and backgrounds. Right? He didn't require people to conform to him, to come to his level of, of, of doctrine, of the, theological understanding. Rather, he inconvenienced himself. He laid aside his comforts. He probably had to eat food that he wasn't used, uh, used to eating. He probably read literature that was outside of Scripture. Why? Why? Why do all of this? It is to win others to Christ. Think about this for yourself, right? In, in, this, uh, in this culture that is so divisive, red, blue, right? 
liberal, conservative. We are always asking people to come to our level, right? Because we're so tightly gripping, into, gripping onto our rights. New Life Fellowship, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you to consider how much of your own rights would you surrender to convey the love of Christ to others? What rights would New Life Fellowship be willing to forfeit in order to reach this community and beyond? True freedom that the gospel offers is to be released from making yourself the end all and be all. And that can only happen when Christ becomes the center, where his love and his grace is what governs your thoughts, your decisions, and your relationships. Man, these rights and privileges are so enticing. And the thing is, they're not evil. They're actually really good. And that is why our approach in living this Christian life in this world cannot be to simply deny these rights by sheer willpower but instead to be compelled by a greater and irresistible love. Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish minister in the 19th century, wrote a powerful book uh, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. This is what he says, quote, The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. Try. It's not going to work. There's too many good things in this world that actually God has gifted us. We can't just simply look at the, all the blessings of this world and try to find something evil about it. Good luck. You won't, you'll fail. There are too many good things. But then he goes on, May it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. Do you know what he's saying? You cannot deny this world by just sheer willpower or try to find something worthless about it. It's not going to work. But a better love, a permanent love, a relentless love, a more durable love, you discover that, yes, you can deny the world. We need to encounter a greater love in order to supplant old affections. And in Christ, we have that love. We have his love, we have his approval, his acceptance, and it's of the highest kind permanent security. You know what Paul is? You know what he's an example of? He's an example of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Though equal with God, he emptied himself. His heavenly rights, his heavenly comforts, his glory, he relinquished those rights. He took on human flesh. He condescended and he became a servant to all by dying on that cross. We have amazing rights and privileges, and the world tells us, make full use of them. But our Christian faith empowers us to relinquish them for God's glory and for the good of others. And so Paul closes you know, this portion of his letter by talking about a race, and I was just curious, like, why finish with a race analogy or an athletic analogy? And so this leads us to our last question. How do these rights impact the Christian race? Verse 24 again. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Every two years, uh, the city of Corinth were, would host the Isthmian Games. And two of the main kind of events was a marathon race and a boxing competition. And in these competitions, there was no second place. There was no participation award. Only first prize, championship wreath. And so what Paul is instructing us to do is train rigorously for that first place wreath. And in this section, Paul is asking you, God is asking you and I, what race are you running? What are you competing for in this life? Because your training should be reflective of that finish line. That's what he's saying. What race are you running? See, boxers train differently than marathon runners. The, the regimen is completely different. The spurts of time that you need to exert yourself is different. So then, if you look at the rhythm of your life, how you make decisions, how you expend your energy, what, what's keeping you up at night, right? how you make your decisions, what is your finish line? What is your end game? Because your training should be conducive to that end. See, your compulsions are directly connected to what you're competing for. Just look at your own life. So what are you running after? Are you running the race of faith? Or like everyone else in America, are you running the rat race? For those unfamiliar with the term rat race, it's this idea that you're competing against everyone else to get that cheese. Wealth, fame, success, comfort. Are you running the race of faith or are you running the American dream race, the rat race? You know, it's not, it's not sinful to have ambition, to grow in your education, your profession. It's not bad to, de to desire these things, but many of us, what we do is we exhaustively chase after these things as if it's our finish line, as if that's it. And so that chase is endless, and it's a mirage. We keep running and running, pursuing and pursuing. Right? How much success is enough success? How many more people need to approve of you to be, for you to be satisfied? How much more comforts do you need to get for yourself in order to be at peace? See, nothing in this temporal, fleeting world can ever appease your desire. Why? Because God has designed us for eternity, the Bible says. There's an eternity gauge within us that's within us. And so it makes sense then that our chase is endless, that is so exhausting and so frustrating and disappointing because nothing in this world can appease our eternal desires. See, if your rights are intricately connected to perishable wreaths, then you cannot deny those rights. It's impossible. It's just too much to lose. All wreaths in this world are perishable. 
They can be taken away. It can disappear. Right? COVID-19 is an example of that. But yet, so many of us are training, competing, exerting our energy for counterfeit joys and counterfeit pleasures. Christians, please listen closely. What awaits us at the end of our race is an imperishable wreath, a prize that cannot wither and will not wither, nor can it be taken away. Because Jesus Christ, our risen and reigning Savior, is holding it for you. It's holding it for you. It's secure in his hands. And so what this also means is that you're not competing against one another, but running with one another to cross that finish line. The brother and sister on your right and left, they're not obstacles to that prize. Rather, they're allies. And what's most important in this Christian race is finishing not winning because Christ has already secured for us the victory. We already know how it ends. What's most important is for us to finish. And so practically, what does this mean? What does this have to do with your rights? You can forgo them. You can relinquish them. You can deny them so that you can run with others Run with others to finish this race. You know, I want to share an image that just blew my mind. I didn't even know this was a thing. It's going to go up on the screen. It's from the Paralympics. David Brown is the one who has the blindfold. He's blind. Jerome Avery is the one that is bound to him by the wrist. And they're running together. And I believe that there's so much for us as a church to kind of just take this image in. Because I believe this is what community is about. This is what the church is about. But the question is, of the two, which one has to be flexible? Which one has to be more accommodating? Which one has to adjust to the speed of the other? Isn't it the one that can see? Jerome Avery is the one who's running alongside him. And so when David speeds up or is faster, he needs to catch up. When David slows down, he needs to pull back. Jerome needs to be mindful of David. You know, God has gifted you with New Life Fellowship, this community, so that you can finish this front, uh, race well. See, our mindset needs to change from how can I cross that finish line to how can I finish it with another person here? Who has God placed in my life where I can run and even bind myself to that person so that we can finish well. Because this race is hard. This Christian race is not easy. There's so many distractions, disappointments. I forget, I forget grace all the time. We need others to be bound together with so that we can finish well. To be knitted together by the love of Christ. So there are people here that have been blessed with the Jerome in your life. Praise God for that. But there's probably a number of people here, they don't. And you're David, you need help. You need someone to run alongside you. And I know the leadership is here to help build up more Jeromes. If you're a Jerome here and you're sure and confident in your faith, find someone to run this race with, to help them run, help them finish. But you know, there are seasons where you're a Jerome 
and you get tired, and you yourself are going to need a Jerome. A healthy church is always going to have a number of Jeromes and also a number of Davids. This is why we're here. This is why you're sitting here. And I heard that New Life Fellowship, they have this ministry called community groups. We have the same at our church. You know, community groups require you to relinquish your rights, your home, your space, your time for training, maybe even your wallets, to be generous with others. All of this requires time, energy, and resources. Yes, you're entitled to them. Yes, you're entitled to use them however you want. But can I challenge you? Can I ask you and invite you to not just be a part of community, but actually actively build together? To actively participate? With the love of Christ, being compelled by Christ's love, can you relinquish your rights for your brother and sister that's sitting at your right and left. And one thing I grieve is consumer Christianity. I grieve American cultural Christianity where you come to church with your hands open, give me something, give me community. I hope the music's to my liking. I hope I'm entertained by the message. I grieve this type of Christianity. It's not the gospel. But so many of us, we come to church with this expectation. How much can I squeeze out of the church? Once again, I want to challenge you guys. Seek to build with others. Seek to run with others. And even inconveniently bind yourself to another brother or sister so you guys can finish well. If you don't consider yourself a Christian today and you're here seeking, praise God that you're here. I want to invite you to trust in Jesus. You can stop running and stop chasing after things that will never satisfy. Jesus Christ himself died on the cross to be able to give you what you most need. That is approval, acceptance, and love. It's permanent. What he's asking you to do is to stop running. Repent of your sins. Know that you cannot satisfy yourself. You cannot save yourself. And then look to the cross and trust in his provision. That's all it takes. And so if that's you uh, this afternoon and you want to make that next step, talk to any one of your pastors and they'll love to follow up with you. And I want to close by reading Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. New Life Fellowship, keep your eyes open fixated on Jesus Christ. Commit yourselves to not only being a part and just coming here, but to build together, to bind yourselves to one another so that you guys can finish this well, race well together. And may you do this to the glory of God and for, your, and for the good of your brother and sister in Christ. Let me pray for us.